a few of the straight thoughts I had during the sitting. Is it on? As most of you know that the, the teachings of, of the Buddha all center around the, essentially around the teaching on the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path. The Four Noble Truths are the, what you could call, what you might call the doctrine of the, the Buddha. And the, the value of studying the doctrine of the Four Noble Truths and learning about the the inevitable reality of, of distress and stress and, un, and dissatisfaction and the, the value of learning about the fact that we all suffer to some degree and the, fact, and the value of learning about what causes us to, to suffer is grasping and craving and uh, not wanting things the way they are and wanting things to be different and value of learning that there is a, a way of, of ending that kind of distress in our minds and the value of knowing that there is a path. Uh, the fruit of that doctrine is that you gain insight. You have, you have knowledge. You have some understanding that comes from learning the doctrine. The Eightfold Path, which is really part of the Four Noble Truths, is about more about the, uh, the discipline of the teachings and remind us that the teachings are not just about understanding, but they are about engaging in the training of our attention to bring that understanding to life. So it doesn't just remain in the realm of the intellect. So it's understanding and practice. These two are an inseparable whole. And the reason I thought about this tonight is because we're sitting in this room. I thought it was, I'm a little overdressed, a little warm. And I know many of you don't have your usual accoutrement, <laughs> your cushion. So you may have been sitting in a position that is a little bit uncomfortable. Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> you may have been carrying the ideal in your mind of, of a gathering of sitting that was, that was very sweetly quiet, tranquil. And in the background, there was probably the kind of music that you don't like. <laughs> Maybe I'm projecting. You don't like Sade? Small doses when I'm dancing. <laughs> so had had my had the Buddha Dharma just remained on the level of 
understanding, we could say, oh yeah, understanding, that's great. You know, life has within it moments that are hard to bear, that are uncomfortable. Had I just left it in the realm of understanding, it really wouldn't have that much impact. But if I, because I was sitting with it, Give it, disciplining myself to stay in the living present with things the way they are, which is the recommendation of the teaching, I was able to not just understand dukkha, but actually realize these four noble truths in real time, real, as a direct living experience. In other words, I haven't, I wasn't, none of us was just reading the menu of Buddhism. We were eating the food. And so the invitation of the practice is to not just read the menu. And it's one thing to eat the food on Tuesday night. That does bear a certain kind of fruit. I felt as though it helped me, the understanding, bringing the understanding to the discipline, to the practice of sitting in the middle of my experience, noticing this is dukkha. Dukkha is the first noble truth. This is hard to be with. This is unpleasant. There are many unpleasant moments. So I could say, I'm realizing the four noble truths in real time. And then the, the second truth, the cause of, of that experience, that discomfort being causing mental distress, causing mental suffering, is, is the uh, feeling of, I don't like this. I wish it was different. Resistant. Reactive. And as in the teachings, say, with this, with this to practice with this second noble truth, the cause of suffering, the Prescription is to abandon it, to let go, which means to open to our experience just the way it is. So I could say, yes, I've, I've felt the sense that I would like things to be different. I've used that as my, as my manure of my bodhi, my, the fertilizer of my awakening, is this experience of, I wish this was different. I felt that in my body, and... In doing that, in meeting that experience, not just reading the menu, but eating the food, I experience the, the arising of that feeling of reactivity and the fading of that experience of reactivity. And in doing so, I experience directly the third noble truth, which is there is a cessation, there is an end to this mental distress. And the Buddha, in the, in the understanding, you could read about it everywhere, anywhere, the prescription is you need to realize this cessation. You need to realize the end of suffering. Now, of course, the, in the teachings, it's much more of, about a, a complete emancipation, a complete eradication of this tendency of mind to want things to be different than the way they, they are. But the only way any of us can eat the food and not just read the menu, is to, is to see it here and now, is to realize whatever measure of that letting go, whatever measure of that cessation that we can experience in any one moment. And in noticing the fading away of that grasping, 
and a deeper acceptance of the situation I was I am in and that we are in together, there there was an, a a palpable there was a felt sense of of letting go, a felt sense of of easing. My mind was no longer reactive. This was the end of mental suffering. Didn't mean that I didn't have discomfort. That's inevitable. But the mental suffering about it was, I could realize by direct experience, that's optional. That has a lot to do, not much to do with what's happening. It has a lot to do with how I'm reacting or relating to what's happening. So that's the end of the suffering in that moment. And then by virtue of having sustained the training and paid attention to that whole experience, I was fulfilling the, the central element of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is wise effort, the, which is the, the training of my mind to be mindful, to be present, to clearly comprehend what's happening with a balanced awareness that has, where there's enough energy in my mind, where, I'm, where I have interest, I have ease and relaxation, my attention is relaxed, it's not straining, the attention is not trying to hold anything away, it's open, it's relaxed, it's interested, it's balanced, and that wise effort, wise concentration, wise mindfulness, the navigator of the Noble Eightfold Path is, um, is being fulfilled. It's, I'm following the Eightfold Path which is just basically being mindful of every element of your life. And of course, we're sitting tonight, and so I can't very well be, be being mindful of my livelihood right now. I can't be being mindful of my... I wasn't being mindful of my speech, because I wasn't talking. But I was mindful of the experience of the, the meditation. So by virtue of, of having attended to that, I, I was experiencing the eating the food of the Four Noble Truths. And that's something that we can all get a taste of on Tuesday night. But to really taste the food of the Dharma, it's not something that we should just do on Tuesday nights. It's something we can do... Maybe we didn't get the camera. Something that we can do from... The moment we wake up in the morning until the time we go to sleep, we can keep eating the food of the Dharma, of the teachings, and the practice, the training, and keep bringing these two together. Because there's a lot of people in this room who are much more developed than I am in terms of their under, in terms of their their understanding, in terms of having read more studied more dharma. But what I can say for myself, and it's just because of my lifespan, over the last many years since I was exposed to the dharma, I've really made it my, I've made it my life. And, I, and so it, it has become part of the, my cellular structure, part of the fabric of my being. I can't, I can't, uh, exper- I can't not practice in a way. Now, I, I can't say I'm busy practicing, but it's the, the momentum of, of living, the te- living with the teachings, living and reminding myself as much as I'm able to, 
to inhabit my life, to keep my mind and my body, to pay attention, to be careful in my speech, to be careful in my livelihood, to be careful in my actions, to train my attention, to remember that I am that I that I am not that I don't live independently apart from everything and everyone around me. To remember those things and then to live with it, to feel it, to eat the food of it every day. It it changes the heart, changes the mind, changes the body. And and I can speak for myself, it's made it possible for me to not just have the theory of some of the what we call the immeasurable qualities, the the innate qualities that that flow from from the more continuity of being aware and awake, they they're actually experienced. Not just the idea of the quality of loving kindness, we actually experience it flowing. Not the just the idea of compassion and the quivering of the heart in relationship to the things that we experience that are painful in our life, but actually that feeling of quivering, that feeling of, I care, a feeling of heartbreak every day. And that's okay. It's a good thing. That can become alive in every single person. It's not just somebody who's practiced. Not just me, in other words. It's just, it's everyone's. And then the... the the increasing capacity that we have to experience the immeasurable quality of joy and delight, even in this absolutely mentally ill, screwed up world that's just a massive field of greed, hatred, and ignorance. It is possible to experience joy. Just like tonight, this place was not peaceful. But at least at some places in the practice, I was peaceful with this unpeaceful place. This world may never be peaceful, but we can be at peace with the world. We can know. So I thought that I would just end these, I don't want to go on and on and on, but we can end this conversation just highlighting some of the teachings, and then I would encourage you to practice one teaching in particular that I think is very relevant to tonight. The teaching being that the that we have within us, we have lots of qualities. The nature of our hearts and minds uh, radiate, emanate uh, incredible uh, intuition, intelligence, discernment, clarity receptivity, openness. But out of that connection with our life, that the life that we tune into, the qualities of the heart flow, um, flow, can flow in a boundless way. And these qualities of the heart, just sharing the teachings right now, four major qualities of heart that flow from our consciousness, the quality of loving kindness, the quality of compassion, quality of joy or sympathetic, altruistic, um, resonant joy, and the quality of equanimity. And I want to just highlight a little bit the quality of equanimity for right now. Equanimity is 
just in the teachings, it's the unshakable balance of heart, balance of mind, the capacity to meet the joys and the sorrows of life without, um, without being blown by the winds, being able to be steady, to be balanced, to be silent in the midst of noise. <laughs> to be able to go with the flow. <laughs> Come on, let's do it. <laughs> so, so easy. So this is the easy stuff here tonight. And we may not, because we may not be used to sitting in the middle of things with a full awareness, you may have struggled a lot tonight. But this is easy compared to dealing with, you know, I have some, some of my relatives right now are, are in the midst of this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's just listen a little bit. <laughs> Maybe I won't talk about my relatives. <laughs> There's some real dukkha going on in my wider, my wider family, where there's a, a partner of, of one of my relatives is um, is truly. Uh, and I have some little measure of compassion, but it's truly mentally ill. And and but the mental illness is is causing um, an incredible amount of distress in uh, this person's life that I'm thinking of right now. Uh, to the, almost to the point where it's it's almost torturous and just a, a tremendous heartbreak. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it uh, and feeling it and just. A lot of tears and this and that. So that's the hard stuff. That, and people are dying all around us. People, everybody in this room probably has someone who they know near and dear who's, who is struggling on so many different levels. And you may be struggling at certain levels. That's really where the rubber meets the road, is being able to practice with that, is to be able to sit in the middle of it, is to find that unshakable balance. But we can start with every situation we're in that we normally are complaining about or are uncomfortable, we can actually say, is it possible right now to, right in this moment, to sit in the middle of it? Equanimity understands that I may not be able to change the circumstances that I'm in, but I can, but I can, um, I can be, I can remain open, I can remain balanced. I can keep my heart open even when it feels hellish. That I don't have to hide away and contract. I don't have to be in a state of fight or flight or freeze. I don't need to then live in the some little compartment in my mind and distract myself because unfortunately that never brought anyone any balance. It may have brought some temporary capacity to get through, but that's not, it's not really living. So to practice equanimity means you, you fully inhabit, you feel the effects of everything in your body, 
you notice what's going on in your mind, but you don't stay in the, just the thoughts of things. You expand. You say, okay, I'm having some thoughts about that music, the Sade music. <laughs> and I'm noticing that I'm registering some kind of reaction. Then. Okay, let me just feel that. Feel it. Feel it. Let that bring me here. And then I get a little bit of glimpse. If I can just sit with that, okay, these aren't my favorite conditions. These conditions are out of my control. That's, that's both the understanding and then the practice is to see if I can sit with that. And when I can, I have, I have realized, I have planted a seed of that capacity that can just grow and grow and grow of not just doing it here, but doing it everywhere. And this quality is uh, is boundless. So if we're, we're honest with ourselves, we can see, yeah, there are conditions where I have a lot of equanimity. But often the, our equanimity is pretty much reserved to the conditions that are pleasant, that are agreeable. So where the action is, is to turn our attention, to enhance our attention at the moments where normally we just hide away or complain. And so I would like all of us to be authorities on equanimity. Why not? It's possible, it's, nat it's a natural capacity in everyone's mind. I'd like all of us to be like the, the little duck. And I'm going to read the poem, The Little Duck. Okay? This is from Donald Babcock, Proper Attributions. It's from the New Yorker magazine, October 4th, 1947. Now we, now we are ready to look at something pretty special. It is a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. A gull always has a raucous touch about it. This is some sort of duck, and he cuddles in the swells. He isn't cold. He cuddles in the swells. Let's just cuddle in the swells. He isn't cold and he's thinking things over. There's a big heaving in the Atlantic and he's part of it. He looks a bit like a Mandarin or the Lord Buddha meditating under the bow tree but he has hardly enough above the eyes to be a philosopher. He has poise, however, which is what philosophers must have. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. <laughs> really having trouble resting. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is, and neither do you, but he realizes it. And what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinity, which it is. That's, that is religion, and the duck has it. He has made himself a part of the boundless by easing himself into it right where it touches him. <laughs> Crazy. Leg is cramping. I'll save the rest till the music goes down. <clears throat> so equanimity is something that I'm having to practice right this moment. My leg is cramping. Drowning out the, the drumming is drowning out the the poem. But what do I do? I just sit with it. It's just how it is. So the practice of equanimity is to one see things as they are, and it can help to engage our conceptual mind in reminding ourselves that things are the way they are, whether I like them or not. And in particular, especially when I think of this family member who is in this very impossible, seemingly impossible predicament, I would reflect as a way of maintaining some kind of balance. I would say something to the effect of, and maybe all of you have someone who you who you are concerned about, who you who may be having a hard life or a hard time. And I would reflect and use some of the traditional recitations, saying to myself, and in my mind to that person, I care about you. I care so deeply about you, but I cannot keep you from suffering. I care about you, but I cannot keep you from suffering. And we can ex expand that to include everyone in the world. I care about you, but I care about you in the world, but I may not be able to keep you from suffering. I will do everything I can in this world to alleviate suffering because I care, but I may not be able to end suffering. So some reflection that you care, but you know the limitations of what your influence are, what your influence is. So that's in regard to people, to situations, to people near and afar. Another more traditional version of that recitation that also in time will, 
will let that understanding sink into your heart. Just one more version. It goes something like this. All beings, you can think about people in your life that you would apply this to, who you have a hard time maintaining balance with. All beings are the inheritors or heirs of their karma, their actions. All beings are the inheritors or heirs of their actions, sometimes interchanged with karma. So all beings are the inheritors of their karma. Their happiness or their unhappiness depends on their actions or their karma. It does not depend on my will or my wish. we can say that inwardly. I am the inheritor of my own actions. My happiness or my unhappiness depends on my actions, not just on my wish for myself. So all of us wish to be happy. It's the universal wish to be happy and free of suffering. But that happiness is dependent on our actions. So first we have to understand that whatever our own predicament, it, it depends on our, our actions, our circumstances, to some degree our, our worldly happiness anyway. Our conventional kind of happiness, it depends on our actions and our circumstances. So if you experience distress in your life, that's, that's the condition, that's and that depends some on your actions, some on your circumstances that are that are beyond, they're not so personal. So to have a certain kind of balance, even in relationship to your own situation, your own life, that's, that's where we start with ourselves. Accept our own, learning how to accept our own situation. Again, we care about, I care about myself, and I will do everything I can to improve my situation, my life, but I, I may not always be successful, because things happen. This is just this is, this is realistic, it's not pessimistic. And this helps me to retain a little balance. And with, then with our loved ones and the world, I care about you, but you are the heir of karma. So your happiness or your unhappiness depends on karma, not on my will or wish. And that helps helps us to maintain some balance, some, some poise to deal with things that we can't control. So this is just a very small, work, very workable example of having to uh, uh, having to deal with conditions that are not ideal. So how is your equanimity? Anybody want to comment on that before we leave? What's that? A little sore. A little sore. How did, did you have equanimity with the soreness? 
Anybody else? Your comment that meditation is the art of making space, I think, was very helpful. He said the comment that the art of meditation is the art of making space was was useful. Yeah, often our reactive mind makes our minds very narrow and our bodies very tight. And so just the gesture, even though it may be a kind of metaphor of making space, unfurling our minds, often brings a little bit more balance. I'm not sure what the effect was, but that's what it does for me. Is, Is equanimity a useful concept to drop into your mind stream? So that'll be, this week, that'll be the, the word. Just have that word in your mind. And you can even repeat it as a mantra. And it will, it will, because this is an unconditional quality, this is a quality that, that is innate in each person, that we simply need to find a way to turn toward that quality, to recover it, to reawaken it in ourselves. Because our education is mostly to be reactive. That's our conditioning. But we all have the capacity to deal with the rumbling. And please. Equanimity is a lot easier when it's shared. does help to have company in terms of equanimity, but ultimately we are faced with having to resolve our own our own mind. And it, and we can't wait to have the perfect circumstances of collective equanimity. We have to we have to just be be working on it all the time. And people do catch it from other people who have it. Which is good news. Okay. Thank you for your equanimity. Thank you for letting me show myself how little equanimity I had tonight. So we'll just spend a a, um, few minutes sitting quietly. And I would like to invite you to forget everything you've heard so far tonight. And... Forget the future for a moment. Did you finish about the duck? Did we reach the end of the duck problem? The duck? The duck. The duck. duck. Oh, right, right, right. (laughs) Thank you. I left you with, he has made himself part of the boundless by easing himself into it just where it touches him. This is really key. The 
The place of equanimity is here. When we leave here, we leave, we lose equanimity. When we make our well-being dependent on how the ocean is moving, we lose equanimity. So if we sit right in the middle of it, that single point that connects us with everything, this is it. And so any moment of mindfulness achieves this. It puts you right in the middle of it, of life, right where it touches you. And any time we feel our bodies, we're feeling life right where it touches us. So don't let your mind leave your body, as I think I left you with that last week. But here's the poem. The people of the Middle Ages were more like this duck than we are. They took life as it presented itself and ran it up in spires of Gothic. They crossed few oceans, but they floated on the sea of time. And a cat is more like this duck than we are. We can radio to the moon and get back a pip for an answer, but a cat can make a hearth rug a haven in the infinite. Or launch four kittens into life in a cracker box by the furnace, purring with pride because she has turned in, tuned in on cosmic waves. I like this little duck. He doesn't know much, but he has religion. So let's cuddle in the swells for a moment. And now we can reflect or imagine or sense ourselves as part of a great whole, a great ocean of existence with all the beings in all the different circumstances and connected with life everywhere, right where it touches us. We, we know that our actions of our body, our speech, and our mind are always affecting, being affected. And we dedicate our practice, our moments, to the welfare and benefit of all, and we, we share the blessings of our practice with a, a heartfelt wish that all beings can know happiness, know the causes of happiness, and realize them. And all beings can be free of suffering and know the causes of suffering and abandon them. That all beings can awaken to the sacred happiness, the unshakable peace, freedom that is the nature of our mind. And finally, a, a deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity, able to deal with drumming, stress, birth, sickness, old age, dying, and all the myriad circumstances, joys and sorrows, that we can meet them with equanimity. And may our practice always be dedicated to all. Anyway, thanks for practicing. Thanks for making it over here. Thanks again, Patricia. The Donna Basket. Donna Basket.
Carol Basket is up on top of the piano. Thank you for your generosity and your practice, and hope to see you next week. If you don't have any yoga blocks or blankets, if you can fold them the way you found them and put them where you took them from, we appreciate it. So just a reminder, uh, we will be we will be offering we will be paying the the um, dance studio for our time here tonight. So any help with the room rental as well as the teacher support, much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.